0: I'm Romi Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Welcome, everyone. Today on Fairy God Boss Radio, I'm so excited to be talking to Celeste Warren, who is the Vice President of Human Resources and Global Diversity and Inclusion Center of Excellence at Merck. Uh, Celeste is really legendary in this industry, and she's a, a smart, thoughtful leader on diversity. We're really lucky to be talking to her today. Welcome to the show, Celeste.
1: Well, thank you.
0: Uh, Would you be able to start by telling us about you? How did you get involved in diversity, how did you build your career?
1: Sure. I started out um, many moons ago. I'm not going to tell you how many years, but um, I started out uh, basically – I used to be a sports reporter, little known fact, and started my career there. Yeah, I I was down in Lexington, Kentucky, and I had – I covered uh sports, the Kentucky Wildcats, the Louisville Cardinals and uh some of the pro Cincinnati Bengals, um to name a few. And um uh didn't earn a lot of income, was always having to have to write home to mom and dad and uh for some <laughs> for some cash to pay the rent and all that. So um decided to go back to grad school and um thought at first that I would use my communications and telecommunications and um and political science background to um, go into being sort of like a campaign manager or go to Washington, D.C. And um, I went to Carnegie Mellon University um, in Pittsburgh for my graduate degree, and my, the guidance Very counselor cool. there talked me out of it. She basically said, um, you're kidding me. You're not going to have a job for four years, so <laughs> so you don't want to yeah. do something like that. So I um, I – I decided to go into human resources and it was really you know like hand-to-glove it really kind of fit me and so have been doing human resources I started out with general foods and craft foods Maxwell House coffee and then moved into the pharmaceutical industry with Merck and have been with Merck now uh, speed 22 years this year and I started um, in diversity inclusion about five years ago Diversity and inclusion um, has always been a passion of mine um, throughout my human resources career. And so moving to the chief diversity officer for Merck uh, five years ago was sort of a natural evolution, although it was a job that I didn't necessarily want at first. And the only reason why is when when I go into a job, I put my whole heart and my passion and everything in it. And I wanted to make sure that diversity was something that, the company was um, standing behind and really believed this was the right thing to be doing. And so I had a conversation with um, the CEO and the CHRO at the time, Miriam gratic and and Ken Frazier, um, who's our CEO, and basically asked them one question, are you serious about this? And they said, absolutely. And, you know, let's go. And so... Um, Long story short, a strategy later, and uh, and we, I have had their support and just kept on moving, and it's been a a, um, a great ride ever since.
0: I love it. Well, looking at some of the things that you've written online, um, it looks like you and I have a shared passion, which is that I'm a big believer that we have to talk all the time about the business case for gender diversity, why companies should invest in it, why you know why. Is your company putting money behind it and other companies? It's the right thing to do from a human rights perspective, but it's also going to drive much better business results. And I think it's really important that we repeat that considerably or constantly. Can you talk a little bit about how you articulate the business case for diversity?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I always say I unapologetically believe at the intersection of diversity and inclusion, and business performance, you create a competitive advantage for the company. And so, when it comes to gender diversity and women, you have to make sure that we understand the power that women have from the standpoint of their purses and their pocketbooks, from the standpoint of their you know the the revenue that they they generate in various different companies. but, but specifically in our industry, in the pharmaceutical industry, The primary caregiver of the family is the mom. It's the woman in most households. They're the ones that are making sure that the doctor's appointments are there for the kids, for the husband as well, for themselves. And they're the ones that are going into the doctor's office, the family members. They're making sure that they're getting the right medications and making those decisions. And so it becomes extremely important that we have women within the organization that can help connect with the, them as patients, help connect to them as primary caregivers in the organization, in their families. And if we don't have that mindset and, ha- and understand kind of what their thought process is, what they value, what they're going through, what keeps them up at night, then it's just we're losing a valuable understanding of our customers and of our patients. And in our business, that is not something that is even viable.
0: I love it. It's all about the customers, about the business. And, uh, and we all have to just remember to be much more conscious of that. So Absolutely. how has gender played a role in your career as you've risen through the ranks? Were you aware of, of kind of a different experience?
1: Oh, most definitely. I, I can remember um, when I started out in um in my the first company out of graduate school, I was not as um laid back and polished. I'm saying that in a joking way. My husband would say I'm not laid back at all, but um I was not I think as, the same, um, same. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I I was not as patient as as I am now, definitely. And um I can remember being in meetings and um I would make a point And um, no one would listen to it. And then a few minutes later, the male male person would make a point, the same point, and everyone would say, you know, oh, great, great, that was a great thought. And I would just get extremely frustrated. It's so
0: infuriating. um,
1: Yes, it is extremely infuriating. And I can remember being in a meeting also where – and i'm not joking i was in a meeting with my boss at the time and uh we were talking to three individuals all male and one of the males refused to look me in the face when he was talking he didn't even acknowledge my presence in the meeting at all and it's it was so very very awkward yeah it was very awkward and um i got so angry and i'm in my you know mid 20s at this point i got so angry that I took my chair and I moved it in front of my boss <laughs> so he would have to look at me and um just that is for, a, you know, a quick story. quick second or so and um it was funny because um my my boss then understood how I was feeling after I did that and um he began to acknowledge it and whenever I would say something and the guy would ignore me he would basically say, you know, well, the point that Celeste is making, and that was a very good one, so he would advocate for me in the room, in the meeting, which is something that, you know, I always give as advice for women in supporting each other. Um, is, is That's one way that you can do it.
0: So that's a great transition to my next question, which is how, how can women help each other more? Who along the way has helped you, and what has been important in those interactions?
1: yeah exactly it we have to be supportive of each other because if we don't who will Um, one of the ways is exactly how i uh, how i stated earlier advocating for each other in meetings when you see that your colleague made a point and then your male colleague said the same point you can basically say and you don't have to say it with disrespect but you can say you know i love that point when elizabeth made it earlier and i you know i just want to piggyback on the point that she made or something like that to acknowledge and advocate for the person in the room when we are um seeing that there's some disrespect that's going on stepping in leaning into it and and uh, making sure that that um, you kind of dispel it and let people know that hey this is not this is not something that we advocate in our organization we we want to treat everyone with dignity and respect but there are ways that we as peers peer to peer that we can advocate for each other and support each other and then of course managers and leaders making sure that they have the appropriate representation of women within their organization. Um, that they are also talking about women in those meetings where you're talking about um, promotions and developmental opportunities and project assignments, et cetera, that they're advocating for women to take over these roles. And you're also you know, listening to those cues. Because we have to be aware of our, all of our unconscious biases, and so making sure that we're listening for those cues where individuals might be letting those unconscious biases come into play in making employment decisions and, and movement uh, decisions around employees' movement, whether that be hiring, one, promotions, et cetera.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. And uh, there is that that finding that came out of McKinsey research that. Women are promoted based on performance. Men are promoted based on uh, potential, and i see I know I've seen that in a lot of rooms, and I think you're exactly right that the only way to confront it is to really ask yourself, are we considering the right people? Are we giving everyone a fair shot? Um, and are we are we looking to see what everyone can achieve?
1: So you, you bring up a you, very, very good point as well about the performance versus potential. And um, calling that out in, in discussions, especially managers and leaders, in those discussions when you're talking about employees, and you see the difference in what they're saying and how they're assessing the male versus how they're assessing the female, and calling it out, and being candid about it, it because it takes all of us to be able to um, really fight for gender equality.
0: Absolutely. So so how do you do it on a day-to-day basis? How are you thinking about either personally mentoring or supporting women or even building an infrastructure that does so?
1: Well, it's um, definitely part of my job as the chief diversity officer for the organization. But how I personally do it, I want to make sure that um, I have um, discussions with women. I find out – what is, what's on their mind? And, and listening, listening with empathy, listening to understand viewpoints. Um, that is the biggest thing that we can do, active listening. <clears throat> I found that when I talk to women about challenges in the workplace that they're having, or successes as well, what are some of the barriers, what are some of the opportunities, et cetera, when we have those conversations and very candid conversations, we learn a lot about the organization. And um, and I have basically engaged many women across the organization in those conversations so we can put together policies, programs, procedures, and practices that um, we can enable and, and, and create the environment that we're trying to create within the organization. So listening is a very, very important aspect of mentoring. And then also where I see general themes um, across the conversations that I've been having um, we try to make sure that we're addressing those – I call them pain points and, and those opportunities to, to try to create um, – break down barriers and obstacles in, in, the, in the organization for women. We put in you know, lots of different programs enterprise-wide and uh, policies and all of that, but the main thing is how are we creating an environment and that relationship with the manager and the leaders and, and the women in the workforce – creating that partnership where um, they can be successful in, in, in our environment, in each department, and across the organization, and, and where they can be successful and learn and grow in advance.
0: I love that. So letting them be heard and then building an infrastructure through which they can achieve, uh, it will make a huge difference, absolutely. So um, we... In in our research, in our data, what always surfaces as the number one driver of job satisfaction is simply, do I have a good manager? Um, what advice do you have to managers about what really what's the quality of a good manager today in this world?
1: I believe the quality of a good manager is about servant leadership. When you are working with your team, command and control does not work you have to be able to work with them you have to be able to meet them where they are on an individual basis or on a team basis depending on how large your organization is and bring them to where you want them to be to optimal level of performance and development and the the critical thing is we have to understand that um our job as managers, as leaders, is to um, make sure that we are creating an environment where our, our, the employees in our organization, where they can learn, where they can develop, where they can be productive, where they can be engaged and be empowered to be successful, and then and to prepare them for their next role or their next opportunity and many managers forget that they they think from the perspective of their an individual contributor or an individual employee employee who just happens to manage people so they 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 sort of approach their role as a manager in that way and they need to understand that as a manager as a leader your job is to make sure that your employees especially your women are productive and engaged and empowered to do what we need them to do. And you step back and you set the direction, but you step back and you let them grow. And um, the best managers are not micromanagers. They're, They're individuals who empower their employees. And when it comes to, especially when we talk about gender and gender equality, understanding, when I say meeting people where they are, understanding what is going on in their professional life and in some cases their personal life if they're willing to share it but meeting them where they are and helping them to develop and grow what's good for joe may not be good for jane um because of whatever the situation that they may be in personal and professional and so making sure that everybody can contribute not saying well here's how you go um you know instead of instead of saying i need you to get to z and standing over them while they go from A to B and B to C and C to D. They say, I need you to get to Z, and let's talk about how you get there. How you get there may be different from how I'm going to get there or how I would do it, but let's talk about how you get there, and I'm there to support and enable you to be successful, to reach that goal of Z.
0: I love it. Yeah, and I think we've all <laughs> had the frustration of that micromanager, and it's really hard to feel satisfaction when you're you're just following instructions all day long. Um, yes. But also, I think you make an interesting point about how important it is to have managers who see you as a whole person. Um, I've I've been observing lately that you know technology has really facilitated. <laughs> having work invade our lives, right? We all are going home at night and working. So if work is going to invade our personal lives in that way, um, then we have to make room for our personal lives during the work day as well. There has to be give and take. Um, so I think understanding who you, know, who you work with and their life and that, uh, that everyone is not a, you know, a, a carbon copy makes such a difference, which Absolutely. is a good segue. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about you, your you know, how do you think about work life balance? You have this huge job. How do you manage to establish some sort of balance in in you and your life and what's important to you outside of work? Well, I um,
1: it, it's 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 so funny. Balance like a scale. Sometimes the scale is up one in one area and down in the other and then it goes and it it um is down in one area and then up in the other. So um, balance is a, is a tricky thing and a tricky word, but my focus is, um, family first and my children, I have a daughter who I is a senior that. in high school now and, um, way. my son is a sophomore. Yeah. And, and my husband and I, you know, we raise them to be strong, uh, independent and, and courageous. And especially in this day and age of the world that they are walking into, but, um, that's first for me always and i always uh, counsel in, in um throughout my career with my managers um when i was first pregnant with my my daughter um my first pregnancy and child and i remember having a conversation with my manager when i when i was about when i when i you know in that second trimester when i when i told him that i was pregnant and um and i basically kind of said you know I don't know how this is going to impact me um, from the standpoint of um, how I approach my work, how I approach my life. It's a new, it's a new adventure for me. But um, I do know that and I would request that I have that leeway as I'm figuring it out in, in my journey. And I know how I felt as a new mother and as a mother of a second child. And so when I lead, I, I try to make sure that I remember how I felt and in balancing it, my husband, when we first got married, um, we both made a decision that uh, we wanted through the formative years of our children that we wanted one parent at home, and so we budgeted, <laughs> we um, we worked uh, and and put a put a kind of a plan in place, and my husband stayed at home for most of the formative years, and did That's you know amazing. did work wow. that he could do from home? Yes, and. And so um, I've seen it. You know, I've seen. Not everyone is able to do that. We were lucky to be able to do that, and blessed to be able to do that with God's help. And so um, balancing for me was was a little bit different because I knew my husband was home with my, with our children, especially growing up and and there for them when they got off the bus. But where what I a could, supportive the supportive husband came that is in. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Where the end, the envy came in, the mommy Envy came in because um I wanted to be there and I wanted to be there more um and a little bit of the you know the jealousy from that standpoint um and so I made it a point to um, have that contracting each new job that i went uh, went to within the organization, having that sort of contracting discussion up front with my manager um when i first had when i had my first child i worked from home on fridays and so did that that had that sort of flexibility and as the organization evolved and as i evolved um i just became more mature and and to have that contracting conversation each new job that i went to with the manager with my manager and kind of talked about you know my priorities and my priorities are, you know, my family and then my my work. But my work never suffers because of it. Um, before I had my I children, I was one of those that. workaholics. Yeah, it I was one of those workaholics that just worked all the time and, and just got a high from it. And um, after I had my first child, what I found was my focus was a little bit. It was it was actually laser focused because the way I approached it was, you know, I. I just was very, very efficient, <laughs> and um, I I worked very efficiently because the way I looked at it was the time that I was at work, if I was wasting time or someone was wasting my time, that was time that was being taken away from me being able to be home with my child. And so I had a very laser-focused um, um, approach to it. And And my thing with my managers was I will get the job done it will be done at the time that you have asked me to have it done um, and not a minute later. How I approach it might be different from how you approach it, but it will get done on the time that you, at the time that you say you want it done. So that was basically kind of how I worked out. And, you know, you build that trust with your manager and you take that time to build the trust. And once build, uh, I built built the trust and built a strong reputation, um, it was easy, and I would take off for you know my children's different things in, in, in the school that they would be having, uh, parties and different things like that, and, and different events and, and, and plays. And as my children got into their um, elementary school, they were athletes, and so attending games and meets, track meets for my daughter and soccer games for my son and really making sure that I was able to be there as much as I could in their lives.
0: They brought you back to your days as a sports reporter.
1: Yes, exactly, (laughs) exactly.
0: I love this, though, Celeste. I feel like I've learned so much from you in in this idea of the contracting conversation. Number one, having the courage and authority to assert, this is first for me, this is important for me, and not be embarrassed about it, and setting expectations up front. And it works so well because it, it helps you have the room you need to to manage your family and your work, but it also you're establishing a pattern for the women who will follow you in the company, and, and men and fathers to have to to uh, have that kind of ability to have more flexibility.
1: Absolutely.
0: All right. Um, are you willing to tell us a little bit about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I. Um through my career, you, you learn from your mistakes, and you walk a tight line between your passions and being objective. And what I mean by being objective is being able to look at the facts, look at the undercurrent of what's happening, the underbelly of what's happening, the sort of political landscape, et cetera, and, um, and looking, at all, you know, looking at an issue in a situation in, in a 360 view. And um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes you don't do that. You err to the side of, you know, not being as objective as you can. And I've made that mistake a couple of times in, in my career where I have a situation that I'm coaching and counseling someone through, um, whether that be, um, um, you know, a, a policy around coaching and counseling around um, do you have the appropriate representation of women on your team, do you um, – how you're thinking about this woman a little bit differently as you're assessing her for a potential role than you're thinking about the about the man and um sometimes i let my passions for diversity and inclusion cloud objective judgment and so especially earlier on in my career and so what i've had to learn to do is take a step back sometimes and um sort of recenter and um and say, Am I looking at, ask myself the questions, am I looking at this objectively? Am I letting my unconscious bias get in the way? My unconscious bias, meaning my bent towards diversity, towards inclusion, am I letting it go off center in how I'm looking at this particular situation? And I've yeah. done that on, you know, a, a couple times in my career, and I've had to kind of pull back and basically kind of sort of try to take my emotions out of it and look at the situation objectively and basically say, okay, where is this where is the leader coming from? Where's the, the manager coming from? Where's the employee coming from? And let's let's try to, to look at the situation and try to find an intervention that will work for both parties and, and for the for the benefit of the organization. And and I can tell you sometimes that's been very, very challenging especially in, in my role. And um, I've had to learn to kind of shut sometimes shut emotions off and um, and really look at situations objectively to, so we make sure that we make the right decisions.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. I think it's so humbling to realize we all have bias, even if it's in the opposite direction, and it's so important to question constantly question ourselves, why am I making this decision? Mm-hmm. All right, we're running tight on time so I'm going to uh, ask you our last question of the day which is uh, we have a a, a really wonderful audience of very ambitious talented women what is the one piece of career advice you'd like to leave them all with
1: share your voice speak up don't be afraid to ask for what you want don't be afraid to have those, as I said earlier, those contracting decisions in various different manners and forums. Advocate for yourself. Advocate for others. You don't have to pound your fist on the desk. You can do it in a very uh, dignified way. Um, you can do it with your, in your own style, whether you be an extrovert or an introvert. It doesn't make a difference, but, but have a voice and share it. It's the advice that I would give.
0: Well, thank you, Celeste. I, I have learned so much from you today. I love learning about the contracting conversations, about the business case and how important it is to make that, and about this idea of service leadership and, and bringing that as managers, or we should all be looking for that in our managers. Thank you very much for spending time with us today. It was great to talk to you.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you, Celeste.
0: Joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.